Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you are being and who you become. And it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. Each week, your host, Dave Jorner, will bring you the best guests, tips and messages to inspire and help you to do life even better. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Do Life Better podcast. And of course, I hope you're creating a great day. Now, today's shout out goes to all of our listeners all the way over in the UK. Thank you very much for joining us each week for our podcast. And I'm so incredibly grateful that you do. So thank you very much to all of our listeners over there in the UK. Now, since starting this podcast, I've been contemplating the idea of create a great day. And in fact, it's so rewarding to hear from a lot of the listeners who say that the podcast is really helping them through a whole variety of situations. And for those of you who have been giving me that feedback, thank you. I'm so incredibly grateful um, that this podcast is helping you and that you have reached out to me. So thank you for that. And of course, creating a great day to do that, we can't avoid the bad moments. We can't just pretend that everything is okay when in fact it's not. It's all about embracing and owning those negative moments, those feel-bad moments. It's, it's about allowing yourself to find and experience great strength and power in your vulnerability. And today's guest knows all about that. Only a few years ago, he had the perfect life and things turned upside down. He found himself addicted to drugs, in trouble with the police and all sorts. And with the help of a friend, he was able to turn his whole life around. And since then, he's dedicated himself to helping people who struggle with mental health and addiction. And to do that, he co-founded uh, the Melbourne Centre of Healing and he has a podcast called Shift Happens. Now, Ryan Hassan will give us in this chat a whole bunch of tips and strategies to help you turn those not-so-great moments around, to help you find great power, strength, and learning in those feel-bad, in those negative moments, to help you not just create a great day, but to help you do your life even better. So I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Ryan Hassan. Hi, Ryan. Thank you very much for joining us on today's episode of the Do Life Better podcast. Happy to be here, Dave, and happy Valentine's Day to you, mate. <laughs> yeah, likewise, Ryan. Happy Valentine's Day. Hope you're having a great one. And again, sorry, the flowers haven't arrived yet, but hopefully soon. Right? <laughs> I had to. Uh, I spoke to the missus and she's like, what are we doing for Valentine's Day? And said, babe, unfortunately, I've got a hot date on the Do Life Better podcast with Dave. So he was a bit upset, but it's, it's all good. We're, we're right to go ahead. Wow, I like your priorities. Wow, that's, that's awesome. Thanks. <laughs> Actually, and, and speaking of you know Valentine's Day, and obviously that's all about the celebration of love and high emotion and that type of thing. And and today we're not quite talking about the love type of emotion, but we'll be we'll be talking about some other forms um, and you know how we understand emotion and the real the importance of all that and what we do with it. But before we do, Ryan, you um, are co-founder for obviously for the Melbourne Centre for Healing, mm-hmm. and you are um, you have your own podcast too called Shift Happens. 
And you know, sometimes when people start up initiatives like that, mm-hmm. um, it's because um, maybe they haven't had a personal experience or that they, they just feel a need to help in some way. And then other people start something up because they do have that, that personal experience and they've seen the real need for that and they've come out the other end and they really want to help other people because of that. And that's your story as well, yeah? So you've had mm-hmm. quite an experience yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you absolutely. know what it's like. And, and yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so at the Melbourne Centre of Healing, obviously we're down in Melbourne. We are an all-natural centre here. We're like an outpatient rehab when it comes to mental illness and addictions. Um, and like you said mm-hmm. there, I think... Even though sometimes looking from the outside, it looks like people might get into a certain field um, with no lived experience. I always think that there's some void they're trying to fill that they've gone through in their life. And when you really delve into mm-hmm. someone's story and find out what they're passionate about, it generally comes from something that they've gone through themselves. And that was certainly the case Absolutely. for me. It wasn't too long ago I was actually a tradesman. I was an air conditioning mechanic, which was a job I did for 11 years. So it seems kind of like a past life. But I still wear the steel cap boots into work, even though I work in an office now, just just to relive those days. (laughs) Just in Um, case. Just in case. You never know what, you know, a light fitting might need to be changed. You never know. Um, You might drop a pen. Who knows? (laughs) That's it. And I'm protected. Uh, So basically how I got to this point where I'm now running an addiction and mental health clinic is because I had a lot of, Uh, issues and demons throughout my life. You know, I grew up in the eastern suburbs Mm -hmm. of Melbourne out here, uh, very middle-class upbringing, um, parents who loved me. I had an older brother who was 14 years older than me, still is, funnily enough. And um, (laughs) he was someone I always looked up to. He he was my hero. And, um, you know, middle-class upbringing, didn't have anything too flashy, but certainly never went without. And one thing that I did have when I was younger was quite a high level of anxiety. And so I was really okay. struggled with being quite an anxious kid throughout my younger years and throughout high school and that kind of thing. And um, I never really mm. knew that I had kind of high anxiety because I thought everyone else had the same kind of feelings. It wasn't until later that I realized that. Uh, along with that as well, I had a lot of suppressed emotions that I was accumulating throughout my life through certain events. And I, I was never sort of taught how to handle or process emotions. You know, it wasn't in the curriculum at school but when I went. Um, so I was, uh, I basically refused to feel negative emotions. So whenever negative emotions came okay. up, I would immediately just try and distract myself because I didn't want to feel them. Uh, and that distraction yeah. took many, many forms throughout my life. It was when I got into my teenage years, it was alcohol, then it went to recreational drugs. Uh, sometimes it might be gym, which you might see as like a, a healthy habit, but it was something I got obsessed yes. with because I was always trying to escape from myself. I always yep. I always have felt like I had this void. There was something missing in me that I was always trying to fill and I was always looking externally to fill that void. I didn't know what the void was, okay. where it came from, if everyone else had it. I just knew that it was there for me. Um, so I was always trying to fill it with these external forces and it took many, many forms. Um, I ended up throughout my 20s becoming a tradesman. I fell in love. I got married, got the house and the mortgage. Seemed like the next step was kids mm-hmm. and it was going to be a happily ever after, right? Didn't quite turn out that way. Um, so whilst outside looking in, everyone would look at me and go, God, he's doing so well. He's got this great job. He's married and things are going great. But internally, I was struggling. And a lot of that came around a a belief that I had that a lot of people have in this country, and especially men, um, that I couldn't be vulnerable. So I I could not be vulnerable in front of everyone. So I went my entire life, the 30-odd years at that point, where I'd never let anybody in my life see me struggle, not even my close friends, my family, my partner. I'd never really open up. And that takes a Mm. lot of energy. You know, it's like you're wearing a mask 
all the time yep. uh, and you're not being authentic. Um, so I always had these you know, issues in my life and then 2014 rolled around and my marriage broke down, which was something that I, I didn't see coming. And that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, this marriage breakup, plus there was f- financial pressures at the time, plus 30 years of all these built up emotions that I hadn't dealt with. And I really spiraled yeah. downwards very, very fast. And I had used drugs recreationally throughout my 20s, but from this point, it, it went into a, a pretty hardcore drug addiction where um, I was using uh, methamphetamine, which is ice and GHB every day. Um, I was living out in a house, which was basically a drug house where no one really slept and people came and went all the time. And and I went downhill, as I said, very, very fast. The, the worst period of it was probably a six-month period. Uh, and during that period, I shut out my family and all my close friends because when it comes to addiction, there's so much guilt and shame. Guilt and shame are the two biggest drivers of addiction. And even though we might see someone who's addicted and from the outside looking in, we might feel like they're selfish or they don't care. Uh, I promise you, they're just walls that people put up to help deal with all this guilt and shame that's inside. And because I had so much of that festering mm-hmm. underneath, that's why I shut out my close friends and family. I couldn't let them you know, see what I had become. Uh, there was... Yeah, a lot that went on during that six-month period. There was um, car crashes, overdoses on drugs. Uh, I was arrested twice um, and had many, many moments along that time where I thought, how the hell did I end up here? I remember sitting in a jail cell one night and I was looking at that white wall and had those exact thoughts. My whole life had flashed before me, this great upbringing, great family, good friends, and I'd think, how the hell did I end up in this situation? Now, from that point, uh, things started to turn around. So I realized that the life that I was in wasn't sustainable, <laughs> basically. And I, I wanted to seek help. So I thought, okay, what do I do here? I'm addicted to drugs. I'll look into rehabs. And at, at that time, I was sort of Googling and looking up things. And there was private rehab and public rehab. And private rehab was sort of, you know, $30,000 plus. I didn't have that kind of money. And I didn't want to put that on my parents. When it came to the public system, it was about a six-month waiting list here in Victoria. And it's still about that right now. And I thought, yeah, it is. And I thought, God, I don't have two months, let alone six months. So, it's not an option for me. So, I ended up doing a home-based detox. It was through a a government company. So, basically, you do it from home, but you get a care and recovery worker, a doctor, psychologist to try and assist you along that process. Uh, I got clean for 12 days and that was a very long 12 days because I never addressed the underlying reasons why I was in that position in the first place. So, after those 12 days, and I'd let my friends and family back in at this point and, you know, that was one of the hardest things if not the hardest thing I've ever done was going and seeing my parents and letting them know the the situation that I got myself into. So after these 12 days of being clean, I ended up relapsing and I got back uh, on drugs for a week. And that week turned out to be the most important of my life. And I ended up connecting with a, an old acquaintance who I'd known from about 18 months prior. Uh, we'd been doing a talk at a, a health event, funnily enough. Um, and I, I got in touch with her and it was quite... Um, a lot of synchronicity involved in us getting back in contact. And it was Melissa, who's now the co-founder of the healing center we run. And basically, she just shot me a message and said, hey, how you been doing? And I said, geez, I could write you a novel on my last 12 months. Um, but but still, I still didn't go into anything uh, that I was going through because I was still wearing that mask, yeah? Always the kid that yeah. I would always want to make sure everyone else was okay. You know, a lot of people like that, it's like, are you okay? Are you okay? Let me give you some advice. And I thought I'd deal with my stuff later on. And it had come to later on when I was by myself and all this negative stuff would come up and I'd be like, geez, I don't like this at all. (laughs) Let me escape. So once again, I'm asking her just about her life. I knew she was a therapist but had no idea what exactly she did. Uh, I thought the conversation was over, a bit of lighthearted back and forth. And she sent me one more message that just said, I feel a lot of hurt in your heart. And I thought, 
yep, you're right. So I basically said, yeah, you're right. We still didn't open up about what I was going through and she had me do this simple exercise where I simply wrote down some of the emotions that I was feeling and I would do that. I'm left-handed. So she had me, we're just on Facebook Messenger at this point, by the way. So she had me write out some of the emotions that I was feeling with my right hand. So it's kind of, you write it out and, and it's quite squiggly and uh, unneat. It looks like your inner child or a younger version of you is writing it. Uh, and this sounds like a simple exercise, writing out some of the emotions that I was feeling, but it was very confronting for me because I'm someone who I just uh, turned away from emotions my entire life. So can I just interrupt Absolutely. quickly? Sorry, you mentioned that uh, you're left-handed, but she asked you to write it with your right yes. hand. How come? Because what happens when we write like that, we normally are generally fairly neat with our dominant hand when we write. But when we write like that, just yep. visually and the way it looks, it's like it's that inner child, that younger version of us who's hurt is coming out and speaking so if okay. i wrote things like fear okay. anger guilt and i'm writing it with my right hand it's like it's like a little kid's wrote it on the page but it's me writing it and there's something kind of about that that had quite a profound effect on me so it's a a great way to connect with your deeper self as you're saying with, with a with that the extra vulnerability, that extra yeah, innocence, exactly. um, authenticity of, of your younger yeah, self. That, yeah, that's a, that's that's a good powerful. word, the vulnerability, because yeah. it felt really vulnerable as you're, you know, your hand's kind of shaking as you write and it's not very neat. But this mm. stuff that's deep inside you is coming out and going onto a bit of paper now. And like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't okay. thought about my emotions in years. So that was like really confronting. And after that, she actually had me next to each of those emotions that were written. I would then write a piece of advice with my left hand as if I was speaking to a younger version of myself and giving them advice, saying like, hey, man, it's okay, keep your chin up, you're going to be okay. So this sparked something up in me. I was welling up. I was getting a few tears. And um, I said to her, I'm like, can I come and see you for a session? I still had no idea what she did, but I said, can I come and see you? Uh, And she said, sure, sure, when do you want to come? And I said, tomorrow. So I walked into her office the next day. Uh, I had no idea what she did as a therapist. She had no idea I was a drug addict. Uh, I I walked into her office because she'd seen me maybe 18 months, two years before, and I was about 14, 15 kilos lighter than when she knew me back then. Uh, So she she admitted later on to being a bit like, whoa, what's what's happened to this guy? So I walked into her office and I spent three hours in that office and I walked out of there knowing I'd never need to use drugs again. And we spoke about drugs for no more than two minutes. Because what we went into in that session was all these old emotions and these beliefs that I had about myself that were unresolved from my past. And the two main ones, we've spoken about one already, was that I couldn't be vulnerable. And I found out when that belief was formed when I was younger and I was able to then process and release that. The next time we looked at was a belief I had in my in that subconscious mind of mine that said, I don't love myself. I do not love myself for who I am. And I realized that I'd never loved myself my entire life. I might consciously have thought throughout that time, yeah, I love myself, I love myself, but subconsciously, I absolutely did not. And I was able to process and release that and something very magical happened in that moment. Uh, For the first time in my life, I became present in the moment. And I remember I was sitting there, I had my eyes shut on her couch and she said, what's happening now? And I said, I'm completely and utterly 100% with myself and there's nowhere else I'd rather be. And I remember just it's giving me goosebumps now, but tears were falling down my face because for the first time, I didn't want to escape from myself for pretty much my entire life. And that's when I knew that, hey, I've got a lot of things externally in my life not going right at the minute, but it's going to turn out all right. I don't know what that looks like, but I know it's going to turn out all right. So from that point, 
I got uh, I got very curious. I ended up after that session cutting ties with everyone I knew from that scene and just said, hey, you, you're not going to see me for a while. I slept for four days. And then after that, I got very curious about what else I had from my past that was unresolved and I hadn't dealt with. So I went and saw Melissa every week. About week three or four, I had the vision or the epiphany, whatever you want to call it, that I was to open up a, a center to help people who are in my situation. Uh, so I ended up I thought, hey, what do I do? I've got to go get qualifications or something. So I, I enrolled in TAFE to do a diploma in mental health and AOD. Uh, now, I'd never done any therapy or counseling or that kind of thing before, before I'd gone and seen Melissa. So I wasn't sure what the standard duty of care was. And what I was what I was learning at TAFE just wasn't really sitting with me right. It wasn't resonating. Uh, I felt it wasn't going deep enough. So I went back to Melissa and I can be quite <laughs> dramatic at times. Like I remember sending a voice note and I'm like, Melissa, I need you to teach me every single thing that you know. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care what I have to do. You must teach me. And she was like, yeah. okay. So I ended up uh, studying under her, learning everything that she knew and all her modalities and, and that kind of thing. And after the next six months or so, I, I said to her, hey, I want to open up this center. You know, I'm really excited. I feel like this is a mission that I have to carry out. And it sort of got something stirred up in her as well, like a bigger vision. And see, so she said, look, if I can help in any way, just let me know. And I said, let's do this thing together. So... We um, started the business, it's nearly exactly two years ago. Um, and it's been, yeah, a crazy journey. We had no backing or no funding or anything. We just sort of started off our own bat and thought, hey, if, if people get the results, then we'll be able to stay in business and help more people. If not, we'll just go out of business. It's a pretty simple equation. So um, luckily after those yeah. two years, we've had many, many people come through our doors. And, um, and yeah, that's sort of, that's how it all originated. Well, so before your time of, of addiction, and you're saying that you were a tradesman first, could you have ever imagined that you would have ended up doing what you're doing no. now? <laughs> In short. Well, so so do, you, do you feel like, like this is um, a, a big cliche and I do apologize, but I'm trying to find a different way to say it. But do you feel like a different person now? Because that time with Melissa and, and writing down your emotions with the opposite hand, but then using your dominant hand to give advice to yourself and then finding yourself really present in the moment. And then, you know, maybe about feeling, you spoke about trying to fill the void earlier. And so maybe be mm. able to fill that void with the presence and, and the knowing that you are okay and that self-love and that vulnerability. By going through that process, do you, again, a bit of a cliche, but do you feel like a different uh, 100%. person? 100%. I think we're, we're always changing in some way. And I remember... So throughout, so I was that tradesman for 11 years and throughout that time, I would just go to work each day, uh, wait till the weekends and, and get drunk or take drugs and it was just this cycle that was repeating. So throughout those 11 years, I was still changing in certain ways but not a great deal mm -hmm. and I think that we're, very, we're so much more fluid as human beings when it comes to our, our personality or our character. I don't think it's as defined as we tend to think it is because I... So I was this, so I was, I'm Ryan. If you had to describe me back then, I'm a tradesman, I'm a husband, you know, I, I like going to the gym, like that's how I would describe myself, whereas it's, it's very different now. So I'm the same physical person, but no, on the inside, very, very different. Sure. So the, the power of vulnerability mm. and, and the power of opening up to yourself and understanding what's going on for you really helped that change. Absolutely. You, yeah? I think it's just, <laughs> it's so prevalent and it's just this, we get taught as, especially as boys, but it's both sexes but as boys we're taught at a young age that it's the masculine thing to we just keep moving on you got to provide you got to be the strong one and um you know and especially being a tradesman i've got an eye open to that as well like you don't talk about your emotions in the trade industry at all there's like it's like come on mate suck no. it up you'll be right exactly. um so we have this idea of what the masculine is 
Meanwhile, suicide is the number one killer of men aged between 15 and 45 because we have this horrible belief that we can't open up. Wow. The idea about vulnerability seems, as you're saying, seems to be a big weakness. Men can't be vulnerable. And even, and it's not just men, as you said, it's women too, it's girls and boys, mm. just the same. But it's, I wonder if, I don't know, the vulnerability, the, it comes a bit of a weakness with that. When in fact, as you're saying, there's quite a yes. strength. Yeah. Like, do you find that a lot of people you work with see being vulnerable yeah, as quite Yeah, initially, weak? yeah, absolutely. When people first come in, like there's a, we have a list of these limiting beliefs that, you know, we test for. And one of the, them is that uh, I'm vulnerable and, and people, when, when they get a yes to I'm vulnerable, I'm like clapping them. Well, that's fantastic. But uh, <laughs> they, they think it's a bad thing because I think yeah. vulnerability is, it's really scary, right? Because if we're putting on a front and a, wearing a mask to some degree and we're not being fully authentic, then if someone comes forward and criticizes mm-hmm. us in that moment, we can head off and go, oh, that wasn't the real me anyway. That wasn't the authentic me. They're just criti- criticizing a character I'm playing. Whereas if I show up to a person or a group or wherever and I know I'm being my authentic self, mm-hmm. I'm sharing all of what's happening inside me, if I am then criticized, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to take that because they're really criticizing the core of who I am. Now, that's the belief that we have around it. Mm -hmm. However, what we learn is once someone does open up, and it was the same for me and a lot of people we work with, once someone does show up and become fully vulnerable, you don't get judged. You get respected. Because you know, I'm sure throughout your life, Dave, if someone's shown up in front of you and you know the kids you work mm. with in schools and everything and they show a completely vulnerable side, everyone around them just goes, that's just, I respect you so much. That's amazing. Oh, absolutely. We see it time and time again you know, in, in the work that I do in schools when a student has the courage and bravery to stand up and, and talk about something quite deep and quite important to them. You know, it takes an incredible amount of bravery to do that and, and there's this concern, there's this nervousness that my vulnerability will be a sign of weakness and people won't respect me for it. But the opposite is so true. The respect that the rest of the year level has for that one person uh, like grows enormously because they've had that bravery they've had that um courage to do that and i think there's almost a bit of awe as well a lot of other students kind of sit there thinking yes. i wish i could do that but what they don't realize yeah. is that they actually can and just like all of us we actually can be even more vulnerable so what would be some advice you could give for someone who really does want to be more vulnerable be more authentic find the strength in that how it's- could they do it like everything, right? Like we're talking about emotional awareness, vulnerability, or if I want to grow my biceps bigger, right? It just takes some repetitions. <laughs> uh, and the mm. thing with vulnerability is it's, it's the scariest before you first do it. That's right. And then once you do it that first time, and that might be if you want to ease into it, try and be vulnerable with a close mate. You know, I remember I had my, my best mate, still my best mate now. We have been since we were, you know, 14, 13. And uh, it was after I'd been through everything with the drugs and I ended up relapsing and I called him on the phone. I was actually starting to talk about how I, I actually felt. And I was starting to, I thought I was rambling on a bit mm-hmm. on the phone. I said, sorry, mate, am I rambling on? And he said to me, mate, this is the most real conversation that we've had in our entire time uh, having our friendship. And I didn't realize till later it was because I was actually starting to yeah. talk about what was happening on the inside as opposed to just being, no, I'm all right, I'm all right, I'm a good. So that was like an, an, a good entry point to do that with a close mate. Because what happens once we do be vulnerable the first time and we realized, hang on, I just didn't get judged and that person actually respected me and I was able to get some help. Then the next time, it might become a little bit easier. The next time, it might become a little bit easier where it becomes like we're strengthening that vulnerability exactly. muscle where we can start to step into it more and more. And it doesn't mean that the fear goes away altogether. I still get the fear. If I'm about to talk to someone about something with myself or post something online to try and help others and I'm being vulnerable, I still get that bit of fear. But it's 
10% of what it used to be. And once you get used to acting in spite of that fear, uh, it becomes very, very empowering. Oh, for sure. And as you're saying, so mm. it builds up your own confidence, your own self-esteem. And also, as you mentioned, it, yeah, it brings oh, people together, doesn't it? Absolutely. It strengthens that relationship and opens up a whole new level It there. gives the per- people or the person you're talking to, it gives them permission to be vulnerable. And, you, and you'll notice so often when people start mm-hmm. to open up in this way and, you know, I get it now, like I'll be at a, a friend's birthday or the gathering and meet people for the first time and because it doesn't worry me too much to open up about my past and what I've been through, all of a sudden people start opening up to me about the struggles that they've been going through and they're like, I haven't spoken to anyone about this for years or ever, right? Because once you're vulnerable, you give other people permission. And like you said, I'm yeah. imagining that group situation like at the school and I've seen it before. You get that brave, courageous kid who gets up and be vulnerable. The entire state of that room shifts in a moment. And you're lucky to use a very good word, that awe. Like exactly. people who are all of sitting there trying to look cool and everything, mm-hmm. all of a sudden have gone into awe and go, shit, how cool is that? It's how powerful it can be. Exactly. Once one or two people do it, it really encourages and inspires other people to do it as well. It helps them realize that, you know what, if they can do it, so can Absolutely. I. I'm going to give this a go as well. And I suppose with being able to be vulnerable, I suppose we need to know what to be vulnerable mm-hmm. about, yeah? And I know that one of your things also is mm-hmm. understanding emotion and um, where does the emotion come from? What does mm-hmm. it mean? What can I do with it? So what advice would you give to someone to help them because like, you were saying earlier that when you were younger, the negativity, you didn't like it. So you tried to fill the void with other stuff and just push it mm-hmm. out of the way, get, get rid of it. And we see that so many times in young people, adults, everyone. What would be your advice to someone to help them notice that, these, that this different emotion is coming, understand what it is, and then um, to process it to of do course. something? So, with yeah, it. so it's say? important to know what our emotions are and what they're trying to tell us. Because, yeah, when I used to get all the negative emotions, I thought, uh, they were just bad or there was something wrong with me and they needed to be brushed under the carpet as soon as possible and they'd go away. Unfortunately, that doesn't work. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Pushing them down doesn't work. So uh, a lot about this being vulnerable is being honest about your own That's emotions right. and actually making it a practice to become aware of them and then be able to share them. So our emotions, like you got to imagine, we've got a whole list of emotions. There's lighter emotions and heavy emotions. So lighter emotions are like love and joy and peace and feeling connected. You know, when we're in those states, we feel light, we have more energy. Then you have the lower emotions like guilt, shame, anger, fear, sadness, and hurt. And these are those heavier negative emotions. And all of us as human beings, we're going through life trying to feel those higher states. We're all trying to do it in our own way. We want to feel love, we want to feel joy, we want to feel peace. But then we go through life and we start to accumulate the negative. And because we're not handling and processing them properly and acknowledging them, they accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And this is why it tends to be harder the older we get, right? Like I remember when I was a kid and I used to look up at adults and everything, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to be an adult till I've got everything figured out. Then I got to an adult and I'm like, oh, I haven't got shit figured out to be honest. <laughs> and it gets harder. <laughs> I wish I was a yeah, kid again. I want to go back to being <laughs> <It's easier. a> kid. <laughs> um, so yeah. we start to accumulate these negative. And what we do, we accumulate them because emotions are an energy. Okay, emotion, energy in motion. They're like the language of the mm. body. They're very physical. You might know if you feel fear in the stomach or sadness yep. in the heart or anger in the hands. They're a very physical sensation. And our emotions, especially our negative ones, what they are is feedback. Okay, so feedback to us. So take guilt for an yes, example. Exactly. Guilt's like a tap on the shoulder that says, Oi, Ryan, you've just done something outside of your personal standards. And then we're meant to let guilt go, but we don't. We hold on to that bugger for weeks and months and years. And we do that with the other negative emotions as well. This is why we start to mm-hmm. feel heavier and heavier and heavier. And when we get dragged into those negative states, that when, when we see 
you know, things like depression, anxiety, bipolar, addiction start to show up. This is when that stuff starts to manifest. So it's about understanding what our emotions are, understanding that they're feedback. So I've got, um, there's a really cool uh, exercise that will be good for the audience to do. It's, I think it's a Buddhist teaching, but it works really, really well. It's called the, the RAIN formula, R-A-I-N, and it's four simple steps. So when an emotion comes up, instead of having this emotion get brushed under the rug, or instead of you know acting out on this emotion in a way that you don't want to, you can healthily deal with it and process it so you don't carry it around as baggage from that day forward. So it looks like this. I'll go through the four steps and then I'll uh, I'll go through an example from my life so, it's, so I'll show you how to put it into practice. Yeah, so R is the first step. R is recognize. So whenever we get an emotional charge, whenever something triggers us emotionally, the first step is to recognize it. This can be a hard step. It sounds simple, but say if anger is the emotion, our natural reaction is just to act out on that anger. Okay? This step is to say, hang on. I'm feeling anger, I'm experiencing anger. And like I was talking about with the vulnerability, this gets easier and easier and easier the more you do it. So instead of having to catch yourself in it being an effort, you get to a point where after not too long, any time an emotional uh, trigger comes up for you, your immediate reaction will be, oh, what's this? You get curious about it. Okay, so take anger for the example. So I'm feeling anger. It's important we use that language instead of saying I'm angry because we don't want to keep telling ourselves I'm angry, I'm angry because that's not the essence of who we are as a person. It's just a state that we're experiencing at that time. So that's the first step. I'm experiencing anger. The A is allow. Okay, this is where we're going to own our emotion and we're not going to run away from it. There's three, so emotions, that energy that comes up in the body. And what happens, it's meant to flow through us as an energy, and, but we're not taught how to do that, so we block the flow. We do that in one of three ways. The first way is suppression. That's like when we feel that negative emotion come up, we'll just push it down. We're like, nah, get down, get down. The second- yeah, because we think it's bad, don't we? We think yes. that emotion is bad and that we shouldn't have it. So we kind of feel guilty almost for having it, so we want to get rid of it. But it's actually you know, allowing it to be there, as you're saying. Like, it's Exactly, okay exactly. And we get caught up in the cycle. It's so funny. Let's like, say that um, yep. we, sadness comes up and then all of a sudden I'm sad and I feel like that's wrong. So now I'll get angry that I'm sad. And I start this cycle of anger and sadness that just feeds off each other. That's right. <laughs> so in the allow step, we're not going to suppress it. We're not going to distract ourselves from it. So distractions, mm-hmm. what I was an expert at, that's when the emotion comes up and we just mm-hmm. distract ourselves with, with doing something busy, you know? And the third way is pr- project it. That's when we just try and throw the emotion mm-hmm. at someone else, but it doesn't resolve it. So we're not going to do any of those three things. We're going to allow the emotion to be. And this is where we can actually start to locate it on our body and say, mm-hmm. okay, if it's anger, where am I feeling that anger? Okay, I'm feeling it in the chest. Okay, so we're just we're stopping and we're owning the emotion. The third step, very very important, the I, the I in rain is investigate. This is where whatever we think has made us angry or sad or guilty, or whatever, instead of pointing the finger at them, we do a U-turn and point the finger back on ourselves. Because what happens, the external stimulus that's made us angry, it's only triggered something we were already holding inside. If that makes sense. So it's triggered something we're holding inside. This is why it becomes feedback, okay? So we do, we do the U-turn and we start asking ourselves now, what's this all about? Come on, mate, what's this all about? And we wait until we get an answer. We might get a, it might be a very surface level answer or it might be something really, really deep, but I guarantee we'll get an answer if we keep asking. 
Now, the N, and I'll go through an example of this in a minute. The N is nurture. So once we've got an answer about what this emotion is really about, what it's trying to tell us, we go into the nurture phase where we actually nurture the emotion, the energy of it in our body so we can properly process it. This is where I might go into that feeling in my chest or my stomach, wherever it is, and I turn towards the emotion, not away from it. And I can even say to get get more intense, more intense, and I feel it through my body. And after a while, it might take 15 seconds, it might take 10 minutes, but that feeling in your body, that sensation will start to dissipate and it will get lower and lower and lower until it releases from your body. And you'll actually feel quite light afterwards. I'm sure everyone's had the... the um, experience where something's come up and they've had a really really big cry and then after that you're like oh this is horrible and then after the cry you feel mm. quite light you feel like something's sort of left your body so we can do that with all the emotions so i'll show you how we uh use this from an example in my life so um let's say uh, an event that happens someone uh, i'd posted something online and someone had commented or sent me a message i can't remember but basically attacking me just saying you know you don't know what you're talking about you're a clown blah 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 now my initial reaction is anger. I got very angry. I'm thinking, how dare you? You know, you don't know my story. You don't know who I am. And I'm about to jump online and write something really stupid. <laughs> okay. So in that moment, that's when I have to catch myself and go, oh, hang on, Ryan, pull up, pull up. I'm feeling anger. Okay. I'm experiencing anger. That's the first step to recognize. The next steps allow. And I say, okay, whereabouts am I feeling that in my body? This is my emotion. It's no one else's. I'm going to own this. Where is it? And for me, it was in my chest. So this anger, very, very tight chest. Next, investigate. Mm -hmm. So now I pointed the finger back on myself and said, hang on, mate, what's really going on here? What are you really angry about? Okay, and I asked the question and my anger actually turned to sadness because I got a really good answer. I found that I was still being super, super critical of myself and giving myself a really hard time in my own head and this person had just triggered what I was doing to myself and that I wasn't showing myself enough self-love. So I got a really deep answer. It was fantastic because okay. now I know what to work on moving forward. So once I get that answer, now the, the, the emotions go on to sadness in my stomach, then I nurture that and I let it express itself as much as it wants to. You know, I can have the, the Kleenex next to me, a few tears came out and I actually processed that so I felt a lot lighter. So number one, I've actually processed an emotion that I'm not going to carry from that day forward. And number two, I've got some valuable information that I'm still beating myself up and I need to show more self-love. So that person who initially commented and I was about to make an ass of myself and get into an online war with is now my teacher because they've shown me what I'm not loving in myself. That's quite powerful. Just a very different way of, of being able to handle emotions when they come up. And like I said, the more you do it, just the easier it gets and the more curious you get because we think that the world is uh, – is making us angry or sad, you know, but the world's trying to show us how we can go from anger or sadness back to our, our authentic self, back into a state of joy or peace. Because we want to, it's like whenever an emotional reaction comes up, it's like we're being poked and the person that's poking us is poking a wound. Okay. So it only, it hurts badly because it's a wound there. So instead of mm. trying to stop the world poking us, because that's never going to happen, it's about healing those wounds so the pokes don't hurt anymore. Nice one. Thank you for that example. And we will have your example about rain, your, your strategy Beautiful. for that. We'll have that in the show notes as well. So uh, so all of our listeners can get into the show notes and go through those steps also. So Ryan, thank you very much for that. Thank you. And I like what you're saying about the more you do it, the more you build up that muscle. And in doing so, you'll build up your own emotional resilience. You'll build up your own emotional uh, regulation and awareness and management as well. So such a powerful lesson there, Ron. And I like what you're saying too about someone who initially made you quite angry, by going through that process, they became your teacher. Yeah, absolutely. They it's, taught you so much more about yourself <laughs> and how you look at the world and yourself and so on. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a different 
paradigm to look at the world and, and see that person as a teacher. Whereas if I didn't, you know, put that into practice and catch myself, yeah. and this is something I would have done in the past, you know, you jump online, you start a fight with someone or a verbal argument, something like that, when, when it's absolutely not necessary because that our emotions are feedback, but the whole world's feedback in essence. Everything's trying to point us back in the direction of, of being our authentic selves. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. And, and I like how you've given examples from um, helping people with men- through mental health and through addiction and then also how these exact same process, processes mm. help everyone in also in just everyday life too. Uh, and when someone triggers something in you, the guilt, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, um, to acknowledge that. And then the power of also understanding these emotions helps you appreciate the positive ones even more knowing when they're coming, knowing where it's coming from uh, and, and sitting with that emotion too. So it's helping to regulate the feel bad ones and also appreciate the really positive ones to help you find more of that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool because we tend to, and this is this was me for so many years, it's go through life and negative emotions are bad and I just don't want any bar of them. They can go away and all the positive ones, as soon as they come around, I don't want to let them go. So it's like you're clinging to them. You're just grasping. And that leads to a lot of frustration in life. Whereas when you understand that the negatives and the positives are both temporary, you know that the negatives are going to pass if you can really go into them and deal with them properly. And that's really powerful. But it's also powerful, I think, knowing that the positive states Mm -hmm. are temporary as well. And you can really enjoy them while they're there, whether they last an hour, a day or a Mm -hmm. week. You can enjoy them without having to cling to them and then go into fear about them going away. That's excellent, Ryan. Thank you. So helpful. Thank you very much. Uh, and to let you go back to your Valentine's Day happens today, <laughs> um, just to, to briefly finish up, um, and I, again, I do know that what you've spoken about, it will be incredibly helpful for our listeners in, in many different areas of their lives. So thank you for that. And this is the Do Life Better podcast, obviously, and what you've spoken about is such a powerful way to help people do life even better. And just that term, do life better, I'd love to hear for you, Ryan, what is the idea of do life better? What's that mean for you? I believe it's the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is having more compassion for self and others. So trying to cultivate more compassion in your dealings with yourself and also your dealings with the world because I think the more people that we can have who are compassionate, the the better this world's going to be. Mm-hmm. That's a great one. Thank you. Uh, and actually, is there any questions that I haven't asked you? Is there anything that you'd like to mention for our listeners? Um, any advice you'd like to give yeah, that well, I haven't asked you yet? Just since we touched on the compassion piece, I can give another little exercise. I call it it's a 24-hour challenge when it comes to cultivating compassion, if, if I can drop that. Yeah, would you like that to be the challenge for the week? Yeah, yeah let's do that. Let's do that. Excellent. So this is a challenge for the week. I normally get people just to do it for 24 hours because 24 hours they'll stick Mm -hmm. to because people who stick to this and do it for 24 hours will generally want to do it forever, okay, (laughs) because this is all about (laughs) cultivating a compassion for other people. So as we go through life, we're like, I like to use the analogy, we're like onions, right? And we've got all these different Mm -hmm. layers and the center of our onion is sort of our essence and who we are. And we're very similar, if not the same in that respect. But then every single human being is unique when it comes to the layers of our onion because those layers are made up of our environment, where we were born, our conditioning, our beliefs, what our relationships were like growing up. So we're all different at that level. That's why two people can... Uh, perceive things very differently. You can have two people walk into the same room and they can both see very different things because they both have these different layers. Mm -hmm. So understanding that this is a challenge. So for the next 24 hours, everyone that you come in contact with, if it's a friend or a family member that you're talking to, whether it's the checkout person at Coles, whether it's a person you just walk past in the street, 
the idea is to simply just connect with them in the eyes just for a second very quickly and just say to yourself this simple sentence. That is simply me living a different life. That is simply me wow. living a different life. Because I, when I walk down the street and I can walk past someone who's homeless begging for food on the side of the road and I can look at them and go, if I was born into his shoes, in his circumstances, with his environment, his upbringing, his parenting and all that, then I would undoubtedly be sitting in that same position as him. When we can look at people in this way, we shift from judgment to compassion. When we shift from judgment to compassion, our whole world changes. I love that. It's a good one, right? <laughs> yeah, when you look at someone in the eyes and think, so, so taking the time to look someone in the eyes and think that they are simply me living a different life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to try that. Mate, that's so powerful. You let, you let me know how you go because it's something, you know, I've had people message me a year later and go, I'm still doing that thing. It feels fantastic because you're not near then going around <laughs> judging the people that you interact with. You're having a lot more compassion. Yeah. It would give you a different, completely different perspective on, on your interaction with them and how they're going and, and their emotional state in that moment as well and the way that you respond to them. So Absolutely. I love that. It's so powerful, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thank no you. Uh, if, if someone would like to get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, just the Melbourne Centre of Healing, like our website's themelbournecentreofhealing.com.au. You can get in touch with me there. Uh, we're the Melbourne Centre of Healing on Facebook, uh, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, so we're probably most active on Facebook, but uh, you're going to shoot us a message through there or the website's the best place to get in contact. Oh, and and we'll on the podcast too, so well. I won't forget the podcast. So the podcast is Shift Happens and um, that's just yeah, iTunes, Stitcher, all that. Excellent. And again, we'll have all of that in our show notes. Awesome. So yeah, Ryan, thank you again for your time today and uh, really appreciate and want to affirm you for the work that you are doing. Um, you've turned your experience into something uh, incredibly powerful to help um, other people through, uh, help them with mental health and addiction and, and everyone to understand their emotion and what's going on for them and turning vulnerability, making allowing that to be the strength that it actually is and changing lives and doing so. So Ryan, I really appreciate the work that you are doing and for your time today and I'll let you go now and enjoy the rest of your valentine's day so thank you very no much worries, Dave. It's, it's been a very good first date and hopefully i've scored a second one <laughs> absolutely <laughs> i'll let you know when yeah thanks John. thanks dave there we have it everybody such powerful tips and messages from ryan today and i love that challenge every time you see someone look in their eyes and think that is simply me living a different life so powerful yet so effective. Give that one a go this week. I'd love to hear how it works out for you. And of course, if you could please do me one thing, it would be a massive favor for me. Could you please share this out with a few of your friends, people you know will benefit from this. And of course, also leaving a rating and a review would be a great way also to get this out to even more people just like you. So please do share it out there and I look forward to having you join me again next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all our show notes at www.projecthatch.com.au forward slash do life better. If you'd like to book Dave Joyner to speak at your event, company or school, you can contact him at hello at projecthatch.com.au. You can contact us on Facebook at Project Hatch and on Instagram at project underscore hatch. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.